Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, and I'm back, and I'm, I'm also from The Next Reel, still. <laughs> still are. I don't know why you didn't, but you, you've made me leave for the last, like, 30 weeks. You were off digging up parts in the deserts of Afghanistan, right? Oh, I am, but I brought sunscreen. Good. Well, we are, of course, talking about John Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. And we have some guests today with us, Pete. I'm very excited about this. We have Scott Corelli and Nick Jimenez from the Cornetto Minute. Hey, guys. Hi. Hello. This is very exciting. First of all, because you're doing a show on one of my very favorite movies, and I absolutely love what you guys are doing over there. Hot fuzz. Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, it's great. We, we love talking about Edgar Wright's films. It's been a lot of fun. We did all of Shaun of the Dead last year, um, and that was great. And, and Hot Fuzz is turning out to be uh, more of the same. Yeah, really fun for very different reasons. Yeah. yeah. You know, Edgar Wright, though, when you're watching uh, his stuff, it's just already so rich, you know, from shot to shot, from scene to scene. So I can only imagine how much fun it is going through it minute by minute and just kind of analyzing all the fun little details that you're catching. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, an almost Marvel connection uh, with with uh, Ant-Man. That's right. That would have been a, a very interesting. Uh, I, I still I mean, I think that uh, that Peyton's doing a great job with the Ant-Man films, but I, I oh, still I too, in, the, as well. in the back of my mind, go, what would Edgar have done? Oh, sure. You know, it, it's a credit to Scott that, you know, he, he can be on on one hand, such a, a student and, and fan of Edgar Wright's work. And on the other, from 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 a friend speaking as a friend, uh, Ant-Man might be his favorite MCU franchise currently. Yeah, it's true. It's very <laughs> he true. He loves both of them. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, but the thing that's really interesting, I think, about about uh, Edgar Wright and, and, and the Marvel connection is that, you know, he was one of he was like the first two. They announced two films when they said that Marvel was going to make yeah. movies. Dream they announced John Favreau's uh, Iron Man and they announced Edgar Wright's Ant-Man. And it took them a really long time to make the Ant-Man <laughs> one. And it wasn't with Edgar Wright. But he was the the one of the two filmmakers they originally announced at that San Diego Comic-Con panel um, in like 2006. You know, I yeah. had totally forgotten that. I cannot believe they have been they they were shuttling his name around for that long before they finally came to differences. That is a that's fantastic. Oh, yes. I yeah. also can't believe that Iron Man and Ant Man were the two that they were talking about that long ago. What what <laughs> business did Ant Man have in, in that that far into the past? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I believe it was just a product of of Edgar Wright being invited into yeah. the into the playpen. Yeah, and his, that was his, the one he wanted. His right, imagination right. and yeah. Joe. Cornish's imagination were like, this is it. This is the one that can make the most interesting kinetic movie. Yeah. And yeah. I, I remember being a high school nerd in, in, in journalism class with my tab open to slashfilm.com and, yeah. and, and reading about like Edgar Wright's Ant-Man and John Favreau's Iron Man. I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and then when we finally got that, uh, you know, Edgar shot that little sizzle basically of it, of that yeah. little action scene, which was such a thrill to watch. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. I can oh, see yeah. where he's going with it. And then and then it never happened. Yeah. Yeah. But we still got a good movie out of it. We got two think, great so. movies. I really enjoy the Ant-Man it's films. True. And I think Paul yeah. Rudd has been wonderfully cast. And he's a great addition to, the, oh, to this universe. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Sure. We're just now seeing the tip of the iceberg. I know. Scott Lang. Uh, yeah, right. I can't wait to see what's going to go on with uh, with him in the future. It's true. But I guess we should, before we really go down that road, which is a, a long <laughs> road and full of all sorts of great conversations, uh, we should look at what we're talking about today on Iron Man. We're looking at minute 56. And this minute starts with terrorists plucking Mark One parts out of the sand. And it ends with Tony and Dummy working away on a foot for Mark II. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Starting off back in the Kunar province, uh, this is uh, the Olancha Sand Dunes again, just uh, south of Lone Pine, California. And uh, we are looking at a big sandstorm as these, as these ten-ring terrorists are pulling parts out. This is just yeah. one massive hero shot and hero like power pose after another this sequence right it starts with their digging and we get that long pullback and then the the terrorist with the who's finds the helmet and he does this very artificially strange like he stands up with his hand fully extended to his side holding the mask way up in the air like he has just found the grail cup right like this is the massive grail and then it immediately cuts to another hero shot right as we have terrorist prime turning around to showcase his his scarred face and open wound just one after another of these kinds of shots it's very dramatic these terrorists johnny favs knows what uh what what the people want yeah, I, think. Well, I was gonna say you know like it, and i remember reading so much about uh his coverage on any cool and slash film and, and you know that the film was going to be kind of powered by favreau's love of the star wars trilogy and the Indiana Jones adventures. And this scene is just such a love letter to like the stormtrooper searching for the droids oh, on Tatooine yes. right, or right. like the, the not the Nazis being like one step behind Indiana mm-hmm. on an adventure and or, just, or them, uh, or them digging for the entrance to the, yeah, the, the can- yeah. Canyon cave, you know, like in Raiders. Definitely. Yeah. The wall of souls. Well, that's it. Yeah. And the shot of like the, I, I always think of him as the captain from star Trek. Uh-huh. Uh, the guy, you know, like he turns around, like oh, like, and because in, in the movie, he's like, that's the audience being like, oh, he's still alive. It's exactly. just, it's very, yeah. very Spielberg, Lucas. Yeah, it is, and you're right. Uh, John Favreau really knows how to sell it, and even though it is probably over the top, the way the man picks the mask up out of the sand and holds it at just the right angle to to you know allow one the sand to pour out, and two for the reveal to come when it's nice and high that it's the Mark One mask. It's just, it is so invigorating. It's thrilling to see it done so well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a movie mood. Yeah. I feel like I want to do a recut of this scene now with any John Williams score. Oh, yeah. I feel like that would, that would play well. Yeah, it's definitely a partnership that could happen that I'd be really happy. John Favreau and John Williams. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, it could happen. Thank you in The Mandalorian. Oh, that's right. going to be a lot of deserts oh. on that show. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> It would be interesting to see that play out. I, yeah, Ramin Jawadi is, I think he's great. And I think he delivers some, some music here that works for the scenes, but still, I wouldn't say that it's John Williams level. It's still, it still is entertaining. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy the music in the film. I would say it's up there with the scores in phase one. I, I, I find my, this is a, then again, this is just a very seminal movie to me. Mm. And I can say that yeah. a lot more confidently now that it's 10 years old. Uh, and, and not like, you know, two or three years old, but I remember mm-hmm. even watching this for the first time being like, oh, this is like a really, yeah, yeah. this is going to be, I'm be watching this a lot. Yeah. 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 Everything your, changes yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and so these big movie moments, like he's raising the helmet out of the sand, he turns and his face is burned. Like I, I remember these moments the same way that you remember moments of star Wars very vividly. Oh yeah. Not only is it burnt, but it's also got a lot of sand in it, which is just, it just I mean, that thing is going to get infected. <laughs> um, it's just, it's. <laughs> 
it's not good. And that could very well be the literal mask that Obadiah ends up wearing. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Well, it's funny looking at Raza's face as we see him do that fantastically dramatic turn. The things that run through my mind are because one, it's the reveal that he is still alive. He didn't die after Tony shot at him with the the little missile and kind of an explosion went off at the side of his head. And then there was like a roof collapse on top of him. One, he didn't sustain nearly as much damage as I thought he should have. Uh, and two, <laughs> right. it, it horrifies me that he's like got those glasses like strapped right on top of his wound and just doesn't seem to mind at all, which I guess tells you how tough of a bad guy he, he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He also has the best <laughs> glasses, right? They only cover right. his eyes and no other headgear. Everybody else is wearing the full like ski mask action. And you can tell they're all they're all, you know, we baby men compared to his massive masculinity yeah well this scene was wasn't supposed to be i mean it's not like they planned for windstorms it was a a nice day when they started kind of planning this whole thing up then all of a sudden it turned into this huge windstorm and they were concerned about what they were going to do and all the crew like whipped out these cool glasses like that to kind of deal with the sand Favreau was like, well, let's just put them in these instead of canceling and coming back another day. Yeah. And so they did and they shot it. And I think it looks so much cooler this way. Yeah. These glasses are cool. They're not, I mean, they're, they're not cool, but like in the context of what's (laughs) happening, they're cool. Like somebody was just walking down the street wearing these, you'd be like, what a dork. But, (laughs) but, but in the context of like out in the desert, like they're, they're kind of cool. They look like they, they serve like a, a very specific, uh, desert going purpose of like we have to protect you from the sun but also from the sand like blowing through the air so they're like these weird combination like goggle goggle sunglasses that are just they're they're cool everything's relative and those those glasses would i think by comparison be incredibly cool walking down the streets of la if you see somebody next to him wearing a full ski goggle setup like it's just context is everything yeah it's true yeah, in the context of him being in an action movie, he he looks great. They do. Yeah. They, they they do yeah. have that sort of look. In the script, it actually it says Raza, his terrible scars still raw from Iron Man's flamethrower. He swats flies from his wound. <laughs> Just reading that, like oh, no. that made it even worse when I read that. I'm like, oh, I'm glad it was a windy day, so they didn't have to have flies all over his head because that would have been that much worse. I think. Yikes. <laughs> but uh yeah i mean speaking of all the star wars connections that we're making after Raz is looking at this uh looking at this mask he like picks it up which by the way that thing would be so hot to touch i yeah, mean it would right. buried oh. in desert sand oh in the in the beaming sun i mean that oh man that thing you would not be able to touch that well granted to that end it's actually winter time here uh, at least i mean it has been there was snow earlier in the in the scene outside of the cave oh we saw some a very chilly night there so oh, okay. it's, it's a cold desert oh okay cold desert day. so maybe it would be cold to the touch then too Heart too cold, cold. <laughs> it'll like don't don't lick the mask your tongue will get stuck to it <laughs> <laughs> but uh when he's doing this sort of uh this sort of stare down with the uh, with the with the mask um which I like because the eye slants and the mask sort of match the shape of his uh goggles. his goggles right. which is right. kind of weird and, but then they do this thing that I don't think I've ever noticed I mean I've seen this movie probably 50 times and I've never noticed that they do a full on wipe into the next scene which is again it's just it's just you know johnny fab's trying to call upon those star wars feels and it works and he wipes into this scene earlier like we we see tony 
in his uh, in his lab in a previous minute he's working in his lab and it wipes the opposite direction into this desert scene and then it wipes out of it and so far i think it may be the only wipe that we've seen in the film i, I can't remember now i'll have to go back and listen to all the minutes that we've discussed so far but, <laughs> that's so interesting but I, don't, I think this was the first set of, of wipes so it is pretty interesting that he opted to go that route yeah you can totally hear that tatooine theme right there's the flute and we're changing it mm. he's just discovered that aunt beru is a uh, crisp and we're going back to the, the stormtroopers <laughs> like yeah, this is just it like that's it he absolutely that's I, I think you just nailed why i feel such an affinity to this sequence in this film because it it really is is of the genetic family of episode four yeah yeah right right i don't think i think star wars has always filmed their desert stuff over in uh in north africa i don't think other than jabba's palace which i know some of that uh was filmed down in uh the deserts in in southern arizona and southern california i don't think they've ever filmed in this spot which seems odd because it's a prime desert spot that's a lot closer for them yeah although i guess mostly they're filming in london so that's obviously closer than oh yeah than i guess that's that's fair yeah, yeah that's true that's probably why I answered my own question as long as you're building a desert like village too that you're really intending to just leave standing in the middle of the desert you've got to go someplace where they don't care about that stuff right yeah right right before we get into the scene we're dissolving into a few notes i thought it was interesting the guy who is digging out the mark one mask as we're watching him dig through the sand to pull it out, if you look closely, you see that he's actually wearing a watch, and it's actually a watch with the New York Giants logo on it. And <laughs> it made me wonder if, uh, if because, you know, people in foreign countries often are wearing weird American things <laughs> that you're like, wow, that's an odd thing to be wearing, but okay. So is he just happen? he happens to be wearing a watch that is a New York Giants watch, or is this just the watch of the actor who was uh, digging in the sand and uh, didn't take it off and it just ended up being in the shot. Well, Favreau is from New York. <laughs> Maybe it is like a little Easter egg for him. Yeah, it yeah. could be. It very well could be. We're certainly going to have one of those in a, one of our later yeah. minutes. Or it is just an example of like, yeah, like um, discarded pieces of Americana ending up like on this guy's wrist. That's what it feels like. Like, you know, he opens his jacket and he's probably wearing a t-shirt with some sort of like English yeah. weird innuendo man. or profanity. <laughs> yeah. That he has no idea what it means. Mm -hmm. That kind of bleeds into like what Iron Man 3 is about. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, right. The whole thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is funny because it ties into this whole idea of these 10 rings terrorists. Mm -hmm. Because initially the plan was to kind of have the, the Mandarin before they got into villain swapping, trying to find the right villain for the film. And so that would have been an interesting element here. Yeah. But it's kind of like an overarching Sauron type force. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. My last note that I had with this scene is... So far, I've been having the translator community on Reddit do translations for me in the various minutes to try figuring out what language they're speaking and what they're actually saying. For this minute, I sent it in because so far they've been speaking Urdu and Arabic, and there's been a couple lines of Hungarian. And I think there was some maybe Farsi or Dari and none of those. Everybody was just like, no, it's not any of these languages, not Pashto. And somebody's like, you know, they thought it might have been Mongolian. They said, it's definitely not Mongolian. It's not Manchu. They went through the whole range of things and nobody could pinpoint what language it was. People generally seemed to think that it was probably just gibberish. And I'm like, these guys have been very good about not providing gibberish in any of these languages so far. It's all been real languages. So I doubt it's gibberish at this point. 
but nobody could pinpoint it. So I feel a little disappointed by the Reddit translation community who couldn't figure this one out for me. Maybe it's uh, maybe they're speaking some kind of created language like i don't like like the way that the, the minions kind of speak like in, a, in an all speak maybe because these guys are their own country almost their own organization they speak in this sort of 10 ringsian slang mm. and they are minions they are minions, they are minions. <laughs> yes <laughs> so i've been watching a lot of like lord of the rings stuff so i'm like oh maybe it's all language maybe it's all. <laughs> yeah I love that. The only clue that I have is in the script after Raza is uh, looking at the helmet, he tells his man, he says, keep looking. I want all of it. Mm. Mm. So checks out. That probably makes sense. But uh, alas, we just don't know what language it is. So anyway, as you pointed out, we do have this fantastic wipe. And now we are in Tony's workshop as Tony is working away on this uh, on this part of the Mark II. And it's, it's a really great moment because this whole latter part of this minute is one long shot. It's a great shot. Mm-hmm. It is. We get the first 20, what, 24 seconds of it in this sequence where we just, we just orbit his work and listen to him sort of talking to himself. I love that the whole internal kind of head dialogue that we get with with tony as he's just talking through things and using you know using dummy as a foil for his uh for his work um that that he's just such a chatterbox but he's also you know they're also giving us such a tour of the like the fantastical sort of wonders that are about to be hidden by the shell of the suit that are in this leg and i've i i've just the the more of this kind of workshop stuff for me the better it's just i'm mesmerized by all the little gears and widgets and things that are moving and sliding around i just get so excited about this stuff oh and i think that's the secret sauce of of johnny faz because as soon as he was gone iron man 2 has uh its fair share of issues for sure but one of the things that Johnny Favs, I think, really brought to the table when he was directing these were the practical effects that went away when he left. Yeah. Cause, cause everything with, with Iron Man, everything, everything involving Tony went to CG. And I think part of that has to do with Robert Downey Jr. getting older and, and wanting to work less for a bigger paycheck. Uh-huh. Um, and, <laughs> and so, you know, he does a lot of green screen, like green suit work and motion capture and stuff like that. Once, uh, he was teamed up with a director who allowed him to do that. Uh-huh. But, you know, I do miss this, this practical, this practical thing. Cause I mean, this, this whole, uh, single shot thing. I mean, it was really just Favreau just kind of showing off those practical effects that his puppeteering team and special effects team worked so hard to put together to say that, like, I mean, look at this thing, like all of the parts move in this, like this is, yeah. this is a real working thing, even if it isn't a actual working thing, you know? Right. Um, and right, it's, right. it's, uh, that's, and that's, that's the, really the secret sauce of, of, I think this movie and, and the, uh, phase one, films in particular where that sort of grounded uh realism of like you know the grounded in practical effects and things like that that sort of i think started to go out the window with the chitauri in avengers yeah (laughs) (laughs) you think think? no i i totally agree and that was one of the things we talked about i think in our uh, very first episode that's like you you've got to earn your wizards and you earn your wizards through stuff like this like i i don't think we uh, generally appreciate how much of the practical stuff that makes this world believable we owe to this movie 
right for mm-hmm. the the remaining 20 movies right that that um, this this movie carries a lot of water for our ability to believe that this world exists absolutely yeah there's there's something really um physical and 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 seeing Robert Downey Jr. working with these actual parts. And uh, I think it works so well in context of our believability in the fact that this is a guy who's basically building this this superhero outfit. We're believing it because we're seeing him actually working on these moving parts that are actually in front of him. But also in context of who Tony Stark is and this guy who's this this super genius who is able to kind of put these things together and he's doing it all by himself with the help of his two idiot robots that, you know, it's, it's amazing that, that he's so sharp and he's putting such amazing things together. So it's, I, I think it really works in context of us believing that this stuff is, is really there. And also just believing that this is a guy who can do it. I think it's just a, a fantastic way to kind of bring us through this process of the creation of, of uh, these suits and, and making Iron Man who he is. And it allows so much, I, it, it lays so much groundwork in not just the, the the story and the overall the world of the MCU, but also to Tony's character, and I think this is the secret sauce as to why he is still now he he has become kind of the uh, the mascot to the MCU, mm. and or the, the 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 character that the pop the culture thinks of really the most when they think of the MCU, think of Tony Stark, think of Iron Man, and it's because. I think more so than any character in the MCU, we really got to see this character crack out of the egg and learn how to walk and put mm-hmm. learn how to use his his rocket arm and his deflector boots and his and so when he when he lands in a, in front of that tank in a few minutes, like we're there with him and right, it's like oh, like I, I'm with this guy and it kind of allows him to say things like I'm a billionaire genius playboy philanthropist without him sounding like a total jerk, <laughs> right, right, like the kind of like oh this guy because like well, no this dude fought his way out of a cave and I saw it, <laughs> I was I was right, there for right. him I was there with him every step of the way, and it it's such a quaint quiet kind of blockbuster but in a really cool way because it, it it really it, it refuses to pull away from this dude the, the, this character. Mm-hmm. He's working here with Dummy. Dummy is one of his two robots, and we've seen Dummy before. The other one is you, and we haven't seen we haven't seen you pop up yet, but we'll see you soon enough. And I, I had a question because uh, you know this is a fantastic workshop that Tony has. He's always doing a lot of work down here. He is working right now on this desk that is in the exact spot where he's working on his car or it's like right next to where his car is but there's there's so much stuff around here and and space wise and you know i was just trying to figure out actually with one of our our previous guests how is he like moving things around and, and handling all of this stuff is it just his two robots does he have any assistance we've never seen any assistance in his house except for pepper and uh, it just makes me wonder like who's helping him with all of this because I, I it makes you think that it's just him and possibly his these two little robot assistants that's that are doing everything. I just have this image of everything being on like rails and like the robots mm-hmm. just sli- everything slides around on on mm-hmm. like tracks that you can't see. You know, well th- they do a lot to keep Tony from being like pampered. It's little things like making it making him a a garage rat. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know it sort of blue right, collars right. him up a little bit to mm-hmm. where like folks in Indiana or Texas can be like, yeah, this guy he's on, he's in a garage. He's mm-hmm. not some like snooty <laughs> Malibu like like shake drinking, which he mm-hmm. is. But just by doing that or like yeah, making he doesn't have a lot of like he doesn't have an Alfred. 
Mm-hmm. He has, right, they made, they, right, he right. had one. They made Jarvis an app. That's yeah. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, that's exactly. Because they knew they're like, no, he's we'll lose people. He'll be too much like Bruce Wayne if he's got like yeah. people. Exactly. T- he's got like Pepper. He's got Happy, and he has these two robots. He does. And and even though he has Jarvis, like the fact that they made the robots dumb, double down on the fact that this ain't no Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Like he, he's rolling his eyes like, oh, these guys that keep messing up, you yeah. know, and it, it's like things like that that keep him from being he keeps him grounded for us. Yeah. And there's also there's also this interesting uh, element about his development as a character through this series. You sort of get the sense that Tony, he really likes to when he has a new idea. He likes to roll up his sleeves and get to work on it himself. Like he likes to touch it and plan it and solder it himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, later on, as he starts to upgrade these things, he already has sort of the baseline that he built from scratch. And, and then going forward, he like creates things to automate the process of upgrading it because he only wants to do it the one time and then he gets bored. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause he's like, well, I already did yeah. this. I'm just improving on it. So now I'll automate it. And that's why I think we go from him struggling to build one suit in this movie to having like 70 suits <laughs> by Iron Man three. And it's because he's right. just created an automated system. And we actually, we even see it later in this movie. He creates an automated, uh, system for the Mach three, mm-hmm. you know, where, where he just sort of sets it to, create the thing and then he bails and goes to a party (laughs) so and he's like yeah no this thing will be 3d printed and whatever you know whatever whatever it is but you know he's just like all right i'll just set that and forget it and i'll be back later to try it out yeah when you think about where he is at in in infinity war by the time he's putting on the suit it's like he's building other people's suits yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) you just can't switch off yeah well that's and we see a hint of that there is a uh, deleted scene that happens uh, i i it feels like it would be wedged right between the scene in the sand with Raza and this scene that we're watching. It's it's where he really kind of locks down his final ideas and starts machining the the parts. Yeah. It's an interesting little bit. It's not the most exciting. I could see why they probably cut it, but it speaks, I think, exactly to that automated world that Tony is living in because he says, great, let's start machining or shall we start machining the parts? That's what he says. And all of Jarvis like turns all the lights on behind him and, and all that you hear all the machines start whirring up and you see the things start cutting the metal and Which everything. Is so so it, cool. I, I, yeah, it's so cool. Very already there. Especially because again, it has weight. Like everything in that, that sequence in particular has weight and, and just like feeling and electricity. And it's, it is nothing like the screens that he's sliding around and the like holograms that he's looking at and exploding, which, which is all very cool. And it, it shows just how much he's into the design but once you get into the, like the cnc milling stuff that, that again is just like oh that suit that magical suit that lets this man fly like a bird that's made of real stuff that i can relate to it, it connects right. me again to this universe it's just great absolutely i don't have anything else for this minute do you guys have anything else no no just e- eager to eager to keep going yeah it's a real nail biter. He's <laughs> got some got some good minutes here. All right, guys, uh, Scott and Nick, thanks so much for joining us today. 
No, Thank yeah, you. Fun. Where can people find you and learn more about the shows you're working on? Well, uh, right now we're on season two of the Cornetto Minute, where we're covering Hot Fuzz one minute at a time. Uh, so uh, you should probably check that out. We'll probably be, by the time this airs, we'll probably be at the tail end of that movie, probably in the middle of the shootout, the big action sequence at the end of the movie. Um, so perfect time to sort of sample uh, an episode if, if that's what uh, you want to do. Um, but go check that out and uh, we'll, we'll have other things to plug throughout the week. So we'll just leave it at the Cornetto Minute. Go check that out. You guys have no shortage of goodies to talk about. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, that is it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at patreon.com slash the next reel. Until next time, true believers. Thank you.